this is uh, Shane Jensen, Professor of Statistics and Data Science at the Wharton School. And on this week's show, myself and the One at Moneyball team uh, have a really cool interview with Micah Blake McCurdy, who is uh, well known for his HockeyViz.com website and, and visualizations. And we talk about a whole bunch of hockey analytics. We discussed the distinction between modeling creation of opportunities versus conversion of opportunities, as well as some talk about the uh, rest of the NHL playoffs. So tune in for that and enjoy. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to two hours of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. Coming to you with three quarters of the Wharton Moneyball team. Eric Bradlow is here. Shane Jensen is here. This is Cade Massey. Adi Weiner, our fourth musketeer, is out and about. You guys can jump in, and we love it when you do. Hit us up on Twitter, at WMoneyBall is our handle on Twitter, at WMoneyBall. We follow all of our guests, like our guests we're about to jump in with. We tweet about the world of sports and sports analytics. We love to hear your suggestions, comments, observations, whatever you got. You can also send us email, moneyball at wharton.upenn.edu, moneyball at wharton.upenn.edu. Again, we love to hear from you. We get some interesting stuff from you guys. We read it all. We get as much of it on the air as possible. Micah McCurdy is back with us this week. Micah, creator of HockeyViz.com. Micah, good to see you. Thanks for making time for us. Thanks for making time for me. I'm always a pleasure to be here. And you're coming in from a long way off. It's also kind of, it's kind of a, it tickles us to talk with you all the way up in Halifax. We don't have a lot of guests from Halifax, and um, it's always fun to think about that, Micah. Um, listen, man, you know, we were chatting a little bit before the show and you said, I hope it's been serving you. It has been serving us. So for example, I know for me anyway, you, it was interesting. I I didn't follow closely enough how good Carolina was this year. You know, they kind of got lost under what was happening with the Bruins, for example. Um, they don't have, you know, I think of some other players before I think of Carolina Hurricanes players. And so I didn't realize how strong they were. And one of the things your model has been telling us for a long time since the cup began was that those guys were pretty strong contenders. So for that's just an example. Um, what we're talking about, team, hockeyviz.com. You can go there and see what Micah has been doing in, in hockey. He breaks things down in, in great detail, but also backs up and gives us the forest, which is like, okay, what are the odds going forward? He's got a real nice visualization. He tweets it. Micah, give us your Twitter handle real quick. We I don't have it in front of me. So my Twitter is at math. The, uh, it's a joke about how my training is in mathematics, as you said earlier, but I could not get the mathematics research job that I dreamed of when I was a child. And so <laughs> I, have to, I have to slum it in the, in the world of sports, which I've later learned is uh, actually much more fun. But, it's a uh, more fun. It's a fun slum for dang sure. But, but, I'm, but I'm struck by the fact that you fantasized as a child about a mathematics job. What was that job exactly? Research math job. What was that? Actually, as, when I was a little kid, I really wanted to be a physicist. And, uh, and I knew that the kind of physicist I wanted to be was the kind who needed to know a lot of math. And so I went about learning all that math. Uh, and then once I knew it, I discovered that actually I liked the math itself a lot better. Okay. Uh, and it turns out that, um, that physics is not exactly the greatest career. Uh, you know, you can do high energy physics, but it's very, very difficult. And it turns out I'm just not that smart. <laughs> okay. So you rolled downhill to the sports and joined the rest of us not so smart people to knock around in the world of sports, but it is a lot of fun. That's for dang sure. It's um, much more social actually. And that is, uh, you know, people, people crack wise sometimes about how, you know, nerds can be 
ruining the sport and how they're making it all robotic and numeric. And if, if you're coming from the other direction, if you're coming from mathematics conferences where people are perfectly pleasant, but not particularly social <laughs> by, by design, then it's actually a much more welcoming world. People are very friendly. You know, even if people yell a bit more, it's actually very community-based, I find. That's great. That's great. Well, listen, we want to do at least two things, um, one backward-looking, one forward-looking. Uh, the Western semis got partially set last night with the Vegas Golden Knights knocking out the Edmonton Oilers. Shane won't let me say our Edmonton Oilers because he's a Calgary guy. But uh, they're out. You can, you can so, say it now. It hurts less somehow. <laughs> the 12, it's hurt less for the last 12 hours somehow. Yeah, Shane's been kind of enjoying uh, the way that thing went. But, you know, a, a, a couple of things. You, you have your site is, is mixed. You can get some free stuff and you can pay for some fancier stuff. But one of the things you make available is, is retrospective breakdown. So people can jump on your site, hockeybiz.com, and look at your breakdown of last night's game. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, and more broadly, I mean, it's, it's as a casual hockey fan, it's, it's we're sorry to see the star-studded alignment of the Oilers go away. It's a fun team um, to follow, and we I go in and look at your details, and it's and it looks like expected goals. If I'm reading it right, Micah, expected goals was pretty strongly in the Oilers' favor last night. Very much. And so the swing was dramatic. So. And why don't we just talk about last night and then we can use your analysis to do a little bit of a primer on hockey analytics and then we'll pivot and look forward. But let's understand what happened last night because it's, it's a big deal. One, the Vegas Knights are in the Western Conference Finals for some absurd thing like, what is it, guys? Three out of four years, four out of fourth six and, Fourth and I think there's six years of existence. I think that's yep. right. Four and six. I can't believe they've been here six years already. Okay, so they're, they're into the finals. They're going to play the winner of tonight's game against an even – an even younger team, uh, the Kraken and the Stars are playing game seven to see who faces the Knights in the Western Conference Finals. Okay, but they got through the Oilers. Our our friends there are done for the offseason. What happened, Mike? How are we to understand it? So last night, the real short version of the story is that the Oilers dominated more or less from the beginning, and Aiden Hill just took it all away. Their goaltender, the, the Knights. Right, the goaltender. And and which, of course, is not even their main goal. They're, they've been primarily relying on the, on Brossois, this these playoffs. But the you know and that that as like a simple story can happen to any team on any given night. And mm-hmm. it's not precisely the story of the whole series. Uh, in fact, as a series, I think it, the Oilers' goaltending was much more relevant, and it was leaky and porous in places. But last night, it was the Vegas goaltending that that really sealed the deal. Okay, so what, what historically we would have said. You know, he blocked X shots out of so many. And what was that number? And then what can we say with, from a more advanced statistics perspective? Purely from goaltending. Uh, so I, some of the research I've been working on recently uh, suggests that goalies should be given maybe a bit more credit than they've been given in the past for shots that are missed. The, I, you know, there's always this dual aspect that you, you, you fight around with everything in sports. You know, is that because they were good or is that because they were bad? You know, there's always these two things together, right? And, and so I, I think of, of shooting in hockey as being this primarily dual process where shooters succeed or fail and goalies fail or succeed, you know, perfectly in link. And, Mm -hmm. and so in particular, but last night, uh, the Oilers were not missing the net very much. They, uh, they hit the net on almost all of their shots. And because of that, uh, Hill looks really good, both from a sort of modern perspective, 
where you include all those misses and also from a pure, you know, how many, how many shots on goal and how many did he save? Mm-hmm. So I, I still like to think of it though, using expected goals instead of just using plain shots. Just okay. Because I don't, I find it's too coarse to say, oh, you know, he saved 35 shots out of 36. Well, you know, those 35 shots, were they similar to one another? In general, you shouldn't expect that. Um, and and in particular, last night, a lot of the Oilers' shots were actually uh, quite, quite good. You know, really good looks from nicely, nice and tight locations from great shooters, too. Let's talk about one of your analyses just to help us a little bit understand. It's your, it's your expected goal breakdown, again, for the game last night. So the Kings win 5-2. Of course, one of those was an empty netter, I believe, at the end of the game. So two games spread, three games spread in one direction. Your expected goals calculations takes it two and a half goals in the other direction. Edmonton 4.3 expected goals, Vegas 1.7. And so we're talking about a four and a half, five and a half goal swing, which is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and, and you and you break this down, you stack up players, you you apportion this out to players, which is neat and it seems really helpful in 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 the big enterprise, which is let's understand who's performing well, how to build teams, that kind of thing. How is it you break it down to players? And when I look at this chart and again this is a chart that's available people can jump in you give your retrospective stuff am i thinking about it right so some of these guys score goals and still don't get a full goal of the expected goal credit for it some guys get half goal credits for that some guys get point one and i assume that means you know kind of what you were just talking about um the situation sets up either poorly or well for a goal so you're not going to give one guy credit when it when it was just kind of there, I, but can you break that down for us a little bit? And can you tell us how to read these charts, these expected goal charts, where you're apportioning credit to players? For sure. And so I, I'm always a little bit careful to put anybody's name next to anything because the, it's inevitable that it will be interpreted as credit specifically. And so in in this case, I, I've tried to be a little bit gentle about it. You know, not make really strong distinctions between the different layers for the different players, because what I want the overall effect is just who had more as a team. You know, I still yep. think of shots as being created by teams. Okay. You know, you, and so the, the what's really important is, is what team you play for. And so then the name gets put next to people's shots just according to who took those shots. I see. Okay. But so that's really a shot breakdown. Got it. That's right. I still think of it, though, as being team generated. You know, the team yep. gets the look. This is part of why a lack of shooting talent in your depth especially can really sink you. Because if you generate a good chance, and it happens to fall on the stick of a person who's not a good shot, you don't, as a rule, have the option of just passing that look up. You know, your coach is going to scream at you. Your fans are going to scream at you. You're all, you know, shifts just aren't that long. One shot per shift is pretty typical. So, you know, you can't be passing up good looks. It's not at all the same as in basketball, where, you know, one of the things that a coach is maximizing in a basketball team is, are we making sure that our good shooters are taking the shots that we generate? And uh-huh. if they aren't, then that's the coach's fault. We got to make a new scheme, a new system, so that we can get a higher percentage of our good looks in our good shooters' hands. But in hockey, that's that's simply not an option. And Micah, so, you, real, real so, quick, let's help us understand how much of the variance is contributed by the situation versus by the player, because you've been emphasizing the former to this point, but now you're kind of emphasizing the latter. How can we? How can we, for example, understand a player like Drysaddle, who's known as a sharpshooter? He, he just got knocked out. He's one of the reasons we hate to see Edmonton go because he get, gets knocked out. How, how You're a mathematician. You're an analyst. How can we think about the value he creates by just more productively converting those situations than the average player? So 
that's the most important single quality a player can have in, in analytic value. I'm, I'm working on a stat, which I haven't published yet, which will actually try to equate all of these different things. You know, this is how much you drive the puck over the blue line. This is how much you draw penalties. This is how well you shoot. How can we put them all in the same currency? So that's still in development. But, but relatively, I can already tell you that that shooting, that finishing talent is the most valuable thing in the entire league. And Dreisaitl is at, if not the very top, he's in the top handful of guys. Uh, okay. And you, you, know, you just look at how many goals he scored. The looks like not counting empty netters, three, four, six goals on 3.2 expected, mm-hmm. uh, plus a couple posts. You know, that's an extremely strong showing. And there's no question that, that the Oilers um, aren't particularly deep as a team, but they did not lose this particular playoff series on account of Leon Dreisaitl, just the opposite. They lost it despite his heroic efforts. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you think that is understood? And, and I guess the, my instinct is that in general, I expect conversion to be overcredited relative to creation. I guess I've, I've carried around a hypothesis for a while across all sports that says we, we over attribute, um, we overcredit players who convert um, and we undercredit players who create opportunities for conversion. So I agree with that. And I think that part of, part of my motivation to do the work I do is to try to reapportion that differently. Um, I'm always a little bit dicey with trying to give out, you know, carefully apportioned credit in single games. That's, that's very, very difficult to do. You know, on a season level, I can say, well, this guy's finishing talent is this. I measured yeah. it with a model. I know it's my best stuff. And, yeah. you know, that's the whole season or even two seasons. Right. So, that you can really, so that you can really look at, you know, this guy took hundreds of shots. And whereas you can, you know, you can get lucky on five shots out of 30. And that's enough to dominate a playoff series. One of the things I remember being told by, it might have been by Namita, Namita Nandikumar, before she went to hockey. She had to shut up about hockey once she got there. But when she's floating between Penn and hockey, she was with the Eagles at the time. I think she told me it's sobering and shocking how many observations you need before plus minus is, is stable. So presumably, as the more decorated it is, the quicker you can get it to stabilize. But it, it still sounds like you need years to really get a very stable read on a player. Yeah. I, I mean, so first of all, if Namita says it, it's always right. That's just a great way to live your life. Um, but also, the, like I know from my own, my own research that, that she's exactly right, that I'm, I'm looking at around around a thousand minutes of a player on the ice before I can say anything that I don't feel the need to put a public caveat of who knows. (laughs) Okay. Just as a reminder to the hockey unwashed, um, a shift is about a minute. A shift is what? So a thousand minutes is how many shifts? Yeah. The shift is about 45 to 50 seconds. So, and, and so roughly like if you look at, if you're watching a hockey team play, especially if you're only interested in five on five minutes, which is structurally most interesting, you're looking at about a fifth of a season before you can say, you know, anything that's okay. not very tentative, and, which okay. is on the one hand that like feels like a failure. But on the other hand, I, I'm increasingly sure that that's just grappling with the sport as it is. You know, the rules are as they are, and you can pretend that you can measure it better than you can if you like. But the variance is part of what you're measuring. Yeah, so you can't right. you can't pretend that it's less than it is. That's just okay, not- okay Mike. But there's this there's a modeling challenge here that is another very general a general challenge. And that is the bigger the sample you need, that means the longer period of time you have to collect data, 
the bigger concern you have that the world is changing, that the more recent data isn't the same as the older data. And so how do you think in hockey and your in your modeling, how do you handle that at least potential non-stationarity? How quickly do you decay the past? How do you estimate how quickly you decay the past? So, I mean, I have an aging model, which is for the moment still separate from the other models. So I'm not looking at aging factors over the course of the length of time that I'm trying to estimate player abilities. You know, I'm estimating the aging curves after the fact using those estimates. And so we're hoping for some sort of quasi-stationarity there. Um, and one of, the, one of the encouraging things is that if that were badly wrong, uh, then I would see it. Um, you know, I, I'd see things start to break for that reason because I'm making those assumptions. And I'm not seeing that, which is already quite interesting. There's an effect. Okay. We actually touched on it very briefly when we were talking last time. There is an effect where aging happens to players all at once. where where they there's a, an equilibrium effect where players know what they need to do to get the best out of themselves, and frequently once they can no longer do it, they they often just stop entirely. Okay. And okay. so you do get so you do see, you know, statistically you have to model that in a different way. You know, you have to model that as almost two separate processes. There's the aging process, and then there's the I might die in the hockey sense, where I might <laughs> no longer be able to appear okay. on the ice. Just to just to just to make sure I, I understand what you're saying and reminding me about our future our our previous conversation, I believe you're saying that yeah the, the players lose some ability or some their skills change over time, but then they compensate and play differently so that they essentially maintain the level of play, and then at some point they can't compensate anymore and they kind of fall off a cliff. I have to just let me just interject for a second. I thought what Cade was talking about. Excuse me if I'm just to. If I'm a little confused, maybe our listeners are. I thought the aging that Cade was talking about was the aging of the data, which is that if you to get a certain number of minutes, you need to go back in time a certain amount, which means that there might be non-stationarity. But, Micah, you seem to be talking about the aging of players. I just want to understand which aging you're talking about here. He, he's what? blending them together. He's saying, I'm not worried about your kind of aging. I'm only going to worry about my kind of aging. And I can find that in the short period of time that I need – your kind of aging doesn't matter. Something like that. Uh, well, in some sense, the two kinds of aging are the same kind of aging, really. You know, the data is old. And so why is it relevant or not relevant? The only way that it could fail to be relevant, really, is because it no longer represents the player who's going to play tomorrow. And the only reason that it wouldn't represent that I player see. is that he's no longer the same player as he was, and which is, which is aging. Well, the, the, you're tackling one of the big known issues of non-stationarity, which is the age curve. And then we always have the questions. It's always a question like, is there non-stationarity within a season? And we might say, well, it's more about team level than player level. That's one reconciliation. So for, for practical purposes, players don't change within season, even though a team might change within season. But speaking of teams changing within season, let's talk in the time that we have remaining about what we have in front of us for the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you're let, we can review your numbers real quickly. I believe you like Carolina over um, Florida at, I don't know, not quite two to one. And I think you like Vegas over the Kraken Stars winner at something like that. Or actually, you like the Stars over the Kraken tonight at something like that as well. Can you tell right. us what you anticipate going forward? And, and maybe a little bit of a pep talk on the Carolina Hurricanes team. So that is right. That's what I expect. And, uh, and if, if Dallas go through as I think they, as they're more likely to, uh, I think that will be, they'll be 57, 58% favorites against Vegas. And I think it'll be roughly around that the other way around. 
if um if it's Seattle that goes through instead. I see. Uh, okay. Just because I'm I'm not convinced again because of data horizons. Despite Brubauer playing very well these playoffs, I'm not convinced he has the track record okay. um, to really to really deserve more than that. As mm-hmm. for Carolina, the who are who are the favorites right now, I think, and will be no matter what happens tonight. They part of why maybe they slide under your radar, like you were mentioning earlier, is that they don't have a really star-driven player team profile. They mm-hmm. they play extremely strong systems game where, uh, and that's entirely, or not entirely, but mostly due to Rob Brindamore, who's one of the stronger coaches in the league. Listen, Micah, we have to let you go, but it's always a pleasure, man. You're slowly dragging us into um, a better awareness of hockey and you're helping us appreciate the playoffs as we go with the analysis that you're doing. Appreciate, appreciate you making time for us. Pleasure's all mine. Micah McCurdy, creator of HockeyViz.com, has some great tools up there for you to check out, HockeyViz.com. Also, tweets at, at Ineffective Math, at Ineffective Math. That's Micah McCurdy, frequent guest on this show, especially this time of year. All right, guys, for the whole crew, Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen, Eric Bradle, this has been Cade Massey. Many thanks to Matty Datz, the boss man. Many thanks to Dion Simpkins, the associate boss man. Appreciate y'all listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.